Bible, the Amos chapter 2 tonight, and we're just going to read, I'm going to read this as we go, we're not going to read straight through the chapter, but if you remember last week, just kind of a review on what we covered last week, I was showing how in the book of Amos, he is, uh, there's judgment being pronounced on several places, several cities, uh, he's pronouncing judgment on them, and it's uh, probably only 10 years or so according to some of the timelines and things that I've read from the time of Amos to the time that the Assyrians came and ended up pretty much taking over the world and becoming a world power. And God used that wicked nation to bring judgment on a bunch of other wicked nations. But unfortunately for Israel and for Judah, because of the fact that they had participated in the wickedness, they got to uh, enjoy some of the punishment uh, for that too. And of course... We don't see this in the book of Amos, but Judah actually ended up, you know, getting right with God and having a revival. And so as a result of that, God spared judgment because we're going to see in chapter two, Judah is, of course, one of the nations that judgment is pronounced on. And they did get their judgment. They just didn't get it when everybody else got it. And if you read the book of Isaiah and in second Chronicles, um, you'll read about um, when Sennacherib was coming after Israel. It's a great story how God just miraculously delivered Israel from this army that's just defeating everybody, taking down everybody in its path, but he wasn't able to take down Judah. Why is that? Only because they got right with God. Only because they had revival. But God did not forget about the sins that Judah had done, and eventually they had another king that was bad, and... God's like, all right, it's time. And then uh, they, judgment finally ended up coming their way. But what we're going to kind of look at tonight, what I want us to learn, kind of the lesson I want us to get tonight is that, you know, sometimes that God actually does remember sins. Okay, we know the verse of the Bible about God forgetting sins, right? But you know what? I'll just tell you right now, that's not for everybody. That's just for people who get saved. All right, that's for the saved. Other, If you do not get saved... Your sins are going to be remembered. And we're going to see here, uh, we're going to look at some uh, prophetic stuff too. Uh, hopefully we have time to get into everything I want to get into. Uh, that uh, Just some really good reminders. But let's go ahead and start reading Amos chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom, into lime. So remember we talked about this last week. We just kind of we just kind of read through the judgments that were pronounced in these different nations. We didn't take the time to go back and look at the things that they had done that got them into trouble. We're going to do that with the cities that are mentioned here tonight. But uh, remember what for three transgressions and for four, what he's just saying there, you know, this isn't wasn't just for three things, this is for four things. Basically, and it was even more than four things. Edom did a lot of wicked stuff. And so this, his way of saying that, when you see for three transgressions and for four, it's just a fancy way of saying they did a lot of stuff. Okay? You know, and he just, in these stories, he'll kind of pick one. You know, the prophet will kind of maybe pick one of the things specifically that they did. But it wasn't just for that. You say, well, yeah, that was just one thing. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, but it wasn't just for one thing. It wasn't just for three things. It was for four. You know, it was, it was a lot of things that they did. And it would maybe briefly mention one of those things, but that's what you see that wording throughout the book of Amos. That's what that means when you read that. They did a lot of things, and it specifies one thing here. You know, he burned 
the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Now, I don't know for sure what that means. I can't find that story in the Bible where they did that, but it says they burned the bones of the king into lime. According to some commentaries and things you'll read, and you, know, you can take that for what it's worth, they'll, you know, they'll say that's because basically they dug up the king of Edom's bones and then they burned them. Which just kind of shows that they were just, you know, that's not impressive when you destroy a dead body. Okay, when you defeat something that can't fight back. But you know what? That actually kind of sounds like something Edom would do because Edom was often very cruel. And that was one of the things that would get them in trouble in their history. Look at verse 2. It says, But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kiriath, and Moab shall die with the tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and I will slay all the princes thereof, with him, saith the Lord. So, right, we'll stop right there. So, let's let's focus on Moab. All right, now Edom. We we all know about Edom. Edom is where you know they descended from Esau. Okay, and uh, they had their land, Edom, and Edom was often working against Israel. Edom had several incidents with Israel way back. Uh, there's one incident, one of the big ones that got them in a lot of trouble was when they were uh, wandering in the wilderness. And they wouldn't help them out. They wouldn't let them. I think it was, I think it was Edomites. They wouldn't let them pass their land. I could be mixing up some stories right there, but you do see in the major and minor prophets. There's a lot of prophecies against Edom. There was a, they got ju- judged for a lot because they did. There's just a whole laundry list of things with Edom. You know, where, where do you even start? You can do a whole message just on Edom and uh, and the problems that they had. But when and just a side note too. When you're reading in Romans and it says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. If you study that passage, the Calvinists love to use, they like to use that to show that God loves some and you know, hates the other one, things like that. But when you read that, it wasn't talking specifically about Jacob and Esau, but it was talking about their descendants. It was talking about those nations that came from them. God clearly loved Jacob or Israel more than he loved Esau or the Edomites. Because if you go on, if you just keep reading... And especially if you go back and you look at the, the Old Testament passages quoting, God talks about the land that he gave Edom and the land that he gave Israel. And you know God gave Israel a much better land. God blessed them in a much greater way. And if you study Genesis, you'll see that God loved Esau. Okay, But God did prefer Jacob over Esau. And that's another message for another day. But let's look at focus on Moab though. Okay, Moab is mentioned here. What was wrong with Moab? Okay, What was so bad about Moab? Because, once again, remember how I, I, I was mentioning this last week. Many of these cities that we're reading about, go ahead and turn to Genesis 19 while I'm uh, reviewing some of these things. While uh, you know, most these cities that are mentioned, we see several stories of them throughout the Old Testament. We see a lot of stories. They had a lot of interaction with Israel. And it was pretty much all bad. Pretty much everything you see about all these cities that are being mentioned is all bad. And this time that they're going into is a time when everybody's kind of getting their comeuppance. They're getting their, uh, they're getting payment for all the wicked things that they had done. And Moab was a nation that had done a lot of wicked things. And Moab, sadly for them, they didn't even have a good start. Genesis 19 verse 36, if you want to know where they came from, it says, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. 
the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Benami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So the Moabites and the Ammonites, these were a cursed people. And you can see they had a bad start. This wicked relationship between Lot and his daughters is how they were born. Just uh, one of the more disgusting stories that's in the Bible, but it's just, it's what happened. The Bible's just recording what happened. God obviously was not pleased with it. And these people, they were a problem. They were a major problem for Israel. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3. Listen to what God says. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Now, is that racist or what? I mean, saying somebody can't come into the congregation just because of who they descend from? I mean, good night. You know how much trouble we get in for stuff like that today? If we're like, you know, this race or this nation, they're not allowed to enter into our church. You know, I guess we kind of get in trouble for that because we don't let homos. People think that's like a race or something like that. But, uh, you know, that, that's, not, that's, not a, that's not a real thing or a race. But uh, it was a big thing. They were not allowed to enter the 10th generation. Why? Why is God doing this? Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. So you all know the story of Balaam, all right? They, they, it was the Moabites and the Ammonites. They were the ones that hired him to curse Israel. They should have helped them. They should have been a blessing. You know why? Because God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And what did they do? Okay, Remember, God said he was going to bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. What did they do? They went and they hired somebody to curse Israel. And as a result of that, you know, God got angry at them. And truth is, you know, if you remember the story, Balaam wasn't able to make them curse Israel. Or he was they weren't able to make Balaam curse Israel. He couldn't do it. He couldn't curse what God hadn't cursed. But Balaam did get Israel to sin. He did get, get them to commit fornication. He did get them to do that specifically with the Moabites. And as a result of it, God ended up killing many of the children of Israel, specifically because of their sin with the Moabites and the Ammonites. So as a result of that, God cursed them and said they were not allowed to enter uh, the congregation to the 10th generation. And just kind of, uh, well, before I tell you, turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. I heard a preacher just say this the other day. And when he first said that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. But then all of a sudden, I actually thought about it after he said it. And I, I started thinking about it. And after about five seconds, I was like, that was stupid. Alright? But Nehemiah chapter 13, let me read this first before I tell you that, what he said. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law, that they separated from uh, Israel all the mixed multitude. So we see that God said forever. They're not allowed to do it. This was, this was not a temporary thing. It wasn't just for 
ten generations, it was forever, is what he said. And then um, Zephaniah 2.8 says, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even as the breeding of nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This shall they have for their pride because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them. For he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, everyone from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. So right there we see, again, God is doing this major curse on them. They are going to be destroyed. Why? They magnify themselves against Israel. They're like interfering in Israel's borders. They're getting in their way. They're just being a problem to Israel. And notice these prophecies. These are hundreds of years later, way more than ten generations. I was listening to a preacher the other day. And he said, you ever wonder why David wasn't allowed to build a temple? And I remember I thought, well, because of, you know, he was a bloody man and all the blood he had shed. That was what God said. You know, but then he was like, Ruth was a Moabite, right? Part of a cursed people. David descended from Ruth and Solomon was the 10th generation from that. And therefore, Solomon was able to do it but not David because he was still kind of having part of that curse. Well, the problem with that is it wasn't ten generations. All right? You know, Boaz beget Obed, Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. David beget Solomon. So we're only four generations. Right? So I remember when it first said, I was like, wow, that's interesting. But then I counted, I'm like, no, eh, not, not good. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing some of the things that preachers come up with these days and uh, no, nobody ever challenges them on it. But anyway, so Moab, though, they were they were a wicked people that were just constantly a thorn in the flesh. We're going to see a little bit more about Ammon here in a little bit. But they were they were always fighting with them, and there was a lot of Israel that died as a result of the Moabites. And so God's cursing them. And here in the book of Amos, once again, this should have been something that the children of Israel they should have been excited about the, these prophecies of Amos. They should have been excited of, about judgment being done, because, but unfortunately they couldn't because they had participated in all these same things, and so they ended up getting a share in that judgment. And if, if they'd only behaved, you know, and it, it reminds me of just all the times, you know, growing up, you know, anytime, there, there were so many times, especially when we traveled. You know, seemed like by the end of the trip, we all got spanked when we got home. You know, I mean, and there were so many times when we all, there was just like, you know, sentence pronounced on all of us. All right, you're all getting spanked when you get home, you know. And I can only probably think of one or two times in my life whenever mass judgment was pronounced where I was not a part of that. And man, it always felt good, you know, when I was not guilty, you know, and it, but it rarely happened. You, if there was, you know, there was five of us. And if there was ever more than two of us, or even if there was even two of us that had judgment pronounced at one time, I was usually one of those that received the judgment. And 99% of the time, it was not fair. I, 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 I personally believe, but uh, just don't just don't ask my sisters uh, for, the, for their opinion on that, or, or my parents. But uh, you know, Israel, 
they could have been rejoicing at the prophecies of Amos. But they did they weren't able to because they participated. Therefore, they they're getting judged too. At the time when God is coming to deal with their enemies, they get to be dealt with too. And that was too bad. They should have behaved themselves. Look what it says in verse four. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. So this is Judah. Remember, this is the southern kingdom. Okay, This is not Israel. What he's pronouncing on them here, they don't get for over a hundred years later because they got right with God. They, they had a revival, so they end up getting some things spared. But what was wrong with Judah? Okay, And you know, that's a tough question to answer just because of the fact that where do I start? Okay. So pretty, it's cause, so pretty much, let's look at the, just quickly, without re, going through all the scriptures, when did Judah start? Okay. Judah started during the reign of Rehoboam. Okay. After Solomon, because of Solomon's wickedness, because Solomon was serving other gods and building high places for Asherah to please his strange wives that he married, as a result of that, God ended up splitting the kingdom. And Judah was the southern kingdom, and that was what Solomon's line ended up. Uh, they, they were the kings of that. And so Judah started out in Rehoboam's time. And one of the things you'll see is Judah, I mean, just you go through the Kings and Chronicles, story after story about them getting involved in idolatry, just doing one wicked thing after another. There are some horrible stories that we read in the books of Kings and the Chronicles. Horrible stories from Judah. There were some very wicked things that they did. But let me just point something out to you. And we're not going to look at all the instances where we see this. But uh, look at First uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 4. There's something that you'll see repeated over and over again when you're reading through the books of Kings and Chronicles. And God wasn't saying this just to repeat himself. I mean, this was, this was important what he was saying. And it's, it's, uh, it's important that we get this. But 2 Kings 11.4 says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Okay? Now, did David have some problems? Yes. Did David commit some pretty bad sins? Yes, he did. But David had a good heart. Okay? And you know what all... you know, there are, there's a, you know, we're all sinners, right? But there's some people that at least have good intentions, okay? And then there's some people they're just rotten to the core, okay? You know, and David, yes, David had some real problems, but David's heart was right with the Lord. David's desire was to serve God and to be obedient to the laws of God. That was David's desire. That was his heart. And God was able to see the heart of David. And one of the things that you'll see in all the kings after him, is they're always compared to David. Okay, That was kind of the standard that God wanted for a king. God originally gave him Saul. He gave him what the people wanted. But then after Saul failed, God said, now we're going to get a king like I want. He got a man after his own heart, David the son of Jesse. And God said, this is the standard that I want for a king. I want a guy that's got a heart like David. But unfortunately, most of them didn't. Some did. 
Some, and you'll see it constantly mentioned. This king, he was like David. This king was not like David. They were always being compared to David. So, uh, verse 6 of that chapter says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. First Kings 15.1 says, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Second Kings 14.1 says, In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, reigned Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. He was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet, not like David his father, he did according to all the things as Joash his father did. So, you see those comparisons there? And those are just a few examples. You'll see those with king after king after king because it was like David kind of set the standard. David was kind of the example. Kind of like for us, Abraham's kind of an example for us, isn't he? As somebody who had faith. That's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be people of faith. And God always would use Abraham as kind of the comparison. And when it came to a king, God didn't expect perfection from them, but he did expect them to at least be like David. Okay? David was able to at least have his heart right with the Lord. He was able to seek after the Lord with all his heart. He had some mess-ups. He had some failures. But you, we, one thing we see with David, when he would mess up, he'd always get right. And interestingly enough, too, and this, and this is kind of, this could, we could almost do a whole message on this. Isn't it interesting how when we read the stories of David, you know, we often remember the story of Bathsheba and Uriah. We remember those stories. We remember when he numbered the people and the thousands and thousands of people that were killed for that. But then, it's like generations later, God's talking about David, and it seems like God's forgotten, hasn't it? It seems like God has did he forget what David did? But you know what? God, God thankfully does. He forgets the sins of the saved. But those who are not saved, he remembers their sins. Those sins are going to get remembered. And Judah here, unfortunately for them, you know, God's, remembering, God's remembering their sins. God's remembering the sins of all these nations. And a lot of the sins that they did, is the fact that these people, they didn't have a heart, or when it came to Judah, they didn't have a heart like David. These men were kings. They were the kings of Israel. They were the kings of Judah. But they were supposed to be under the authority of the law of God. And we see stories too in the books of Kings and Chronicles where kings were doing evil and then they had some good priests during that time. They had, they'd have good Levites that they're trying to do the right thing and they've got a king that's working against them. I mean, just imagine that. That kind of thing, it upset God greatly. And they would, there would be people, there would be a remnant of people in Israel and Judah that wanted to serve the Lord and wanted to do right. But those kings were working against them thinking that they were above the law. They were not submitting themselves to the law of God. They had the Bible. Yet we've got guys like King Josiah who did have a good heart who did want to seek after the Lord, and even though he was doing good and doing the best he could, it wasn't. he was in his 20s, this king, before they found the book of the law. And thankfully, because he had a good heart and his heart was right, when he read that law, you know, he went and read his clothes. And you know, he proclaimed the fast. 
And then they had revival in Israel during that time because Josiah had a heart like David, his father. But, and Josiah is another example too of where God stole off judgment because of guys like him. So, you know, just um, Judah's problem was they did. They had some wicked kings. They didn't live up to the standard of David. They for, they forgot. And so Judah, they've got a lot of sins to answer for. And so judgment was pronounced on them too that thankfully gets delayed. But it did happen just like it happened to the rest of these nations. Look what it says in verse 6. So now it gets to Israel, the northern kingdom. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Okay, now this was a big deal. Okay, one of the most important things they were supposed to do, they were supposed to take care of the poor. They were supposed to look out for each other. They were supposed to take advantage of each other. Exodus 22.25 says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Exodus 23.2 says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. That means just to twist or pervert judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Don't look away from a poor man. If a poor guy comes to you with an issue, you deal with that. You, all right? you, you know, it'd be like in church. If somebody has a problem in the church, we got two people that have a problem in the church. There's Mr. Moneybags that gives a ton of money to the church. He's got a problem. And there's a pastor, man, I'm all, man, we gotta fix this. We gotta deal with this. But then, you know, the guy who doesn't have hardly any money, he comes with a problem. We're like, you know what, who cares what you think? Go jump in a lake. That's not, that's not right. That's not good judgment right there. But that, that happens, doesn't it? Do we not even see in our own country, you know, how rich people seem to get uh, you know, they have the longer trials and seem to get off way easier than poor people can. You know, that's because we've got a messed up uh, justice system. And unfortunately, our laws have been perverted. They've been twisted. And we see that that was something that Israel did. It says in verse 6, Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy, of thy poor in his cause. They were supposed to take care of the poor people in their land. God wanted them to do that. Just because they didn't have a lot of money, they were still God's people. And God wanted them to take care of them. God did not want them being cruel to them. God didn't want them setting up a great big welfare program so these people could be lazy and not work like we do in America today. But there were things they were supposed to do to help them, to lift them up. And they weren't supposed to be usurers to them. They weren't supposed to be cruel to them. They were, there were specific things that God had in place to help the poor in Israel. And when they didn't do it, that upset God greatly. God pronounced a curse on them back in Exodus when He's giving them these commands with the poor. He's telling them, hey, if your brother, he has need, he needs to borrow from you, you open your hand wide to your brother. Otherwise, if he's going to call out to me, and I'm going to hear that, and you're going to, there's going to be a curse on you. There was a curse in Israel. If there was somebody that came on hard times, they were going through difficulties, and they needed a loan, and nobody's helping them, nobody's taking care of them, if that person went and cried out to God, that was going to bring a curse on those people. That's kind of scary right there. Okay? You know, we ought to think about that too whenever we see some opportunities where we can maybe be a help to somebody, where we could be a blessing. 
But we want to ignore it. We just want to turn our face away to it. We just want to act like we didn't notice it. Better watch out for that. I'm not telling you guys to give money to every bum on the street. But you know what? I think we need to be uh, have a generous spirit. I think we need to be willing to give. And I think we need to be watching for opportunities. And doing what we can to help. I sure don't want somebody crying out to God because of me. That's a scary curse that we see in the Bible. So that was one of the things they did. Verse 7 says uh, that... Um, says the pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. Now that was a big no-no there too. And I don't want to get into all the laws of, you know, just some of the sexual things that the Bible teaches, but, you know, a, a father and a son were never, okay, I understand people can get remarried if there's a death. But you're not allowed to marry, marry somebody that your son was married to, your father was married to. That's, that's, not, yeah, that's just creepy. All right? And it's perversion. And God calls it perversion. And that type, that type of thing was wicked. And so uh, we need to, um, you know, and I think those things are still wicked today. All right? Incest is still bad. Perversion is still perversion. God still doesn't like it today. And notice, I say, you, know, you profane my holy name with that. And I'll probably be saying a lot more about that in Sunday school this Sunday uh, with one of the chapters I'm covering. It covers a lot of the of those details. But look at verse 8. says, And they lay themselves down upon the clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink wine of the condemned in the house of their gods. These people, they're basically perverting holy sacrifices. They're not doing the things the way they were supposed to. They weren't following the instructions that God so clearly gave. They're doing things that are even abominations. And we see many examples of that in Israel's history. And notice how he's just, he's just mentioning several things here. Why? You know, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away my head. It wasn't just three. It wasn't just four. They did a bunch of things. We read so much wickedness that they did during that time. I mean, Jeroboam, as soon as the kingdom split, remember Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom. I mean, he, he was a man. He had a good heart. God promised that he would establish the kingdom in his generations forever if he would serve the Lord. But you know what? He didn't. He didn't. He was worried about the people of Israel going to Jerusalem to do sacrifices and things. He thought if they were going to Jerusalem, then their hearts are going to be turned towards the king of Judah and they're not going to want to serve him. And so what's he do? He makes two golden calves and says, you know, these are your gods. He didn't learn the lesson from when Moses, uh, during Moses' time, when Aaron made a golden calf. He went and he makes two of them and tells people to serve them. I mean, Telling the people of Israel, commanding them to practice idolatry. And as a result of that, the kingdom did not stay in his family. And the kingdom was constantly switching families in the northern kingdom because none of those, I don't think, I don't know if there was any good kings. I think Jehu, he did some good stuff. Uh, but for the most part, they were almost all bad in the northern kingdom. They were, they were very wicked. And that's one of the reasons too. You know, they didn't have revival after Amos was written. They didn't listen. And they ended up getting the judgment that God pronounced on them. But let's keep, uh, let's keep reading. So verse 9, and I want to show you this, uh, this, this verse right here, this is a famous verse too in the internet world. Alright? And I want to briefly deal with this. Um, but it says, Yet destroyed I the Amorite, uh, 
before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Right here, if you look at that verse, in the internet world, it likes to talk about giants and stuff like that, and the Nephilim and all that, and it will often talk about them being like, you know, 200 and 300 feet tall, because it said they had heights like the cedars. Okay? Well, I'm sorry, you know, not, not only, you know, I, first of all, that's just, that's completely figurative, alright? I remember I looked up cedars of Lebanon one time, just to see, you know, how tall are these trees? And I remember I saw this picture of a bunch of cedars, and as soon as I saw the picture, as soon as I looked at these cedar trees, I knew exactly what that was talking about in the Bible. When you look at cedar trees in a forest, they stick out among all the other trees because they're so much taller. And so these giants, it wasn't that they were 300 feet tall like cedars, it's just they would stick out in a crowd just like a cedar tree would in a forest. They're just that much taller than everyone else. And, and let me show you too, I think probably the tallest guy that we see in the Bible was um, probably no more than 12 feet tall. Now that's big. That's really big. That's scary big, okay? That's actually bigger than Goliath. Okay, Goliath was six cubits in a span, I believe it was. Uh, I, I think it was, I think is what the Bible says it was. But look what it says in, um, lost my spot. Uh, Deuteronomy 3 verse 11. Alright, it says, for only awe, because this is the time specifically too. When Amos is written right here, and this is proof that they weren't 300 feet tall because it says they were tall as the cedars. This proves it right here. This time that Amos is specifically referring to is this time we're reading about here in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. We're not going to read the whole story, but it says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. So the Ammonites was who he dwelt among, and when they found his bed, it was eight cubits, which would be uh, roughly 13 and a half feet, if a cubit's one and a half feet. Okay? So he wouldn't have been quite as you know tall as his bed. But it mentioned, you know, I guess they found his bed, they saw it, everybody thought, wow, you know, look at the size of this guy's bed. So I would say that you know the guy was probably roughly 12 feet tall. That's huge. In fact, that's twice as tall as normal people. And most cedar trees that you'd see in the forest are twice as tall as the other trees. And so, there's no way the Bible's teaching here that there were 300-foot giants during that time because this time he's specifically referring to when God delivered him from the Ammonites who had these giants that were tall like the cedars, it makes note of one in particular who had a bed that was 13 and a half feet. Okay? So... Don't let the internet people fool you with that verse right there. They're, they weren't 300 feet tall. Right. That would be really cool. But I guess not if you were an enemy of them. But uh, that, you know, but 12 feet would be pretty cool too. All right. And I think the Guinness Book of World's Record guy is only like 8'11 or something like that, uh, which is which is huge. But uh, 12 feet's a lot bigger than that. So anyway, let's look at verse. Uh, I lost my spot. Keep losing my uh, verse. 10 says, Also I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness 
to possess the land of, of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. So, you know, not only did God deliver them from these great enemies, from these giants that were tall like the cedars, you know, twice as tall as normal people, they, you know, God, God was good to them. God did one thing after another for Israel. God parted the Red Sea for them. God gave them His law. God focused all His attention on them. God delivered them from enemy after enemy. You know, enemies, there was no way they could defeat. God did that for them. Yet they did these sins. And God remembered those sins. God, God remembered those things. And it ended up coming back on the children of Israel. Look at verse 13. Uh, or verse 12, I'm sorry. It says, But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. So not only was God good to them, not only did God give them His law, not only were they the ones that were supposed to be the light to the world, they're getting other people to sin. You know, they're telling the Nazarites to drink wine. That was a special vow that God would give to men like, like He did Samson, where they weren't supposed to drink any wine. And here He, uh, you're giving them the wine. You're causing people to sin. You're not just sinning. You're causing people to do it. You know, it's what is. It's one thing when you're just going and you're doing junk by yourself. When you're doing bad stuff by yourself. Okay? It's wrong for you to sin. Period. But you know what? It's even worse when you're getting other people to sin too. And when you're encouraging other people to sin. And making other people to sin. Especially when you're somebody who's supposed to be an example and doing the right thing. So look at verse 13. It says, Behold, I am pressed under you. As a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves, therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself, neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself, and he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. Well, God's basically saying right here, because of their wickedness, God's going to cause their power to be ineffective. You know, your mighty men, they're going to flee away naked. Okay? Not only are they not going to have their weapons and their armor and things like that, but they're going to be running away in shame. When you see nakedness in the Bible, you know, it's often a, a picture of shame. And it is, because it's a shame to be naked in public. It's, it's a shameful thing. I know in America today, people don't seem to care, but they should be. They should be ashamed of it. And he's basically telling them here, you know, you're, you're courageous. They're going to run. They're going to run naked. They're going to be completely exposed. They're going to run away in shame. That's what's going to happen. Basically, warn them, you know, don't think you guys are going to be able to stop what I've got coming your way. What I've got coming, you're going to get. And so we're, um, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to, I want to show you a few things before we close. On this, so, you know, what ultimately are we supposed to learn from this? What's something that we can get from this chapter? What's something we can use to apply to us today? And simply this, that God, He remembers the sins of nations. Well, that's scary. Because do we not have a lot to answer for in America? Boy, we've got a ton to answer for. But you know what? There is one nation, though, that's safe. There's one nation that God does not remember their sins. Well, I'd like to be part of that nation. All right, And look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days comes, verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, saith the Lord. So notice right here, God says, I'm, I'm not going to remember their sins anymore. I'm going to remember that nation. Now what's interesting about this, God's talking about not remembering the sins of Israel but Jeremiah, it's written after the book of Amos. Okay, I know Amos comes after the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, but Amos was written many years before Jeremiah. Jeremiah was written shortly before Judah ended up getting taken captive by the Babylonians. And so understand that right here, God is talking about how I'm not going to remember their sins anymore. But you know what? God did remember Judah's sin. Okay? He was talking about a time in the future. He was talking about something to come. Jeremiah had prophesied that 70 years of captivity that Babylon was going to have. Jeremiah prophesied all kinds of doom and gloom that, it was, going to, that was going to come on Israel, which would probably get many people back then to wonder, well, what about all these promises that you made to Abraham? What about all these promises you made? Well, he's telling them, hey, I'm not, going to, I'm not getting rid of all of you. You know, there's going to be a remnant. You're not going to cease from being a people for me forever. But understand one of these days, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the first covenant they break. Remember when we went through Hebrews, we talked about that covenant. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, But now hath he, uh, now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now, I was just reading Bill Grady's book today, Holy Ground. Why would I do that? I don't know. You know, sometimes you just, you just kind of need some ammo. But uh, he, I, because I, I, the main reason I was reading it is because I was wanting to make sure I was right. Because I remember when I talked, the time I talked to him on the phone, I asked him about Jeremiah 30. And I told him, I said, that new covenant was the blood of Jesus. Because he was preaching at Brother Gomez's church. He was preaching at Northwest Bible Baptist Church in Elgin, Illinois. And he said that when Jesus comes back at Armageddon, all the Jews are going to get saved, whether they want to or not. And I asked him about that, you know. Because I, I thought, and he's like, well, you know, not necessarily all of them. You know, he kind of hem-hawed around it. But I told him, I said, that, so are you saying another covenant's coming? With Israel? He's like, yeah. I said, that was the covenant of Jesus' blood. That already happened. No, no, that's ridiculous. So I went and I looked in his book. I thought he probably covers it in there. He does. He's got a chapter in the New Covenant. And he says that this is not talk. That's, that's not what it is. This is something to come in the future. And he said in his book that all the Jews in the world are going to get saved 
when Jesus comes back in Armageddon. Because this is that, yeah, irresistible grace, yeah, Calvinism on steroids right there. But I mean, just, just craziness. And I thought, you know, maybe I heard him wrong. I don't want to misrepresent him. But I went and I read it in his book. And he's teaching that this covenant that it's talking about here in Jeremiah, it's not the New Testament that we talk about, the blood of Christ, that is why we are saved, all right? The covenant that we got in on. Because that can't be the covenant that we got in on because it says it's for Israel and Judah. And we all know we're not Israel. Well, are you sure about that, Bill Grady? Because, there, you know, there's, you know, we've proved that, you know, 50 different ways around here. But look at it. Look what he says right here in verse 6. Yeah, but now if you obtain a more excellent ministry, by how much also is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises? For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the... Uh, them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continue not my covenant and I regard them not, saith the Lord. Hey, does this passage sound familiar? It's Jeremiah chapter 30. Alright? Or chapter 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Said Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So right there, I mean, or that was chapter 10 I skipped to. Sorry about that. But when we just went through the whole book of Hebrews. Were we, were we studying something that's for Israel in the future that whole time? Or were we studying something that was for them back then during that time? Something that we are clearly a part of. I mean, to say that Jeremiah 31 is a covenant that is yet to come, that's the biggest, dumbest bunch of junk I've ever heard, like he said, about people who believe that the Old Testament looked forward, you know, to, you know, the Messiah. I mean, that's just, or the, what was it? Yeah, look forward, basically look forward to Jesus. You know, just foolishness. I mean, just, you know, the insanity of this. And it's like, you know, he sold quite a few of these books. And, you know, a lot of people, I saw one on my dad's desk. Somebody bought one for my dad. But you know what? I think most preachers are missing it because that book is long and it's boring and it's almost at the end of the book. And I don't think most people have got to it. And you know what? Today, preachers are getting so dumb. Most of them are probably too stupid to read something like that and not get offended by it. To read that all the Jews are going to get saved at Armageddon. That's just so dumb. That's so ridiculous. But that's what happens when you go into dispensationalism. But we see here, though, that this, the way we don't get our sins remembered is we have to be, that promise was to Israel. That promise was to a specific nation. Well, guess what? We are fellow citizens. We are of the commonwealth of Israel. We're not strangers from that anymore. And so guess what? Our sins and our iniquities are not remembered. Why is that? Because we put our faith and trust in Christ. 
That's it. That is the way we get saved. The first covenant, it had faults. The fault was with them. The new covenant, there was no fault. It was between God and Jesus Christ. And those of us who have put our faith in Christ, the Bible says we are in Christ. Therefore, we're good. We're covered. But what about all our sins? Well, it's kind of like David. What about all those things David did? God sure talks David up pretty good. Because God didn't remember his sins. Because David was saved. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God doesn't remember our sins anymore. Thank God for that. Because you know what? When you, do, when you read all these prophecies and you look at the things that God's judging these nations for, it's like, you know what? Yeah. America's got it coming. If God judged those nations for that, that type of man, we've got it coming big time. Well, I don't want, I don't want judgment. I don't want to suffer. Well, thank God, those of us who are in Christ, we have not been appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation. And so when it all goes down, thankfully, we are going to get yanked out of here before the big day of the Lord comes. And so thank God, thank God for that. And this is a reminder of it. And that's why we do, we need, we need to just, you know, keep on doing the right thing. Cause even as individuals too, okay, this is talking mostly about just national stuff. Okay, with nations. But you know what? The same thing applies to individuals. Even though I'm saved, if I'm living in sin, if I'm doing one thing after another, God's going to deal with me. Okay, I'm going to end up getting in trouble for it. And so we need to avoid those sins. We need to stay faithful. We need to do the right thing. And because, but you know, other, otherwise we're going to we're going to pay the consequences. And so right here in Amos chapter two, we see what it looks like when God remembers sins, and it's not pretty. And I don't want God to remember my sins. So you know what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for the blood of Christ. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your blessings to us. We thank You for Your shed blood, Lord, that cleanses us from our sins. We thank You that You do not remember our sins, that You do not bring those things up anymore, that we don't have to worry about paying for those for all eternity. Lord, what a... What an amazing gift we have. Lord, I pray we will not take advantage of that, but we'll be thankful, Lord, and uh, live a life of uh, service to you. I just pray you'll uh, just just help us, dear God, to, to learn from these things as we study through the book of Amos. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.